The following is an encore presentation. However, we would like you to participate with this conversation. You can do so at upr.org or on our Facebook page or on Twitter with hashtag AccessUtah. All time. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the Dead. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A clip there, of course, from Dawn of the Dead. Uh, One of the great uh, horror movies and zombie movies. And, in fact, we're in the middle of a uh, zombie revival, a renaissance. Uh, Many movies out, including comedies and the usual uh, horror uh, pictures and uh, their... uh, Uh, Video games and uh, zombie events nowadays. And uh, Well-Timed is a book out from uh, Southern Utah University Assistant Professor Kyle Bishop. It's called American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. Uh, Kyle Bishop says that zombie movies reflect our cultural anxieties. Indeed, uh, zombie films have addressed such uh, uh, themes as violence in the Vietnam War, fears of mass annihilation during the Cold War, and anxieties related to 9-11. We'll spend the morning with The Walking Dead and uh, Kyle Bishop on Access Utah uh, today. Kyle Bishop, uh, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tom. Pleasure to uh, be with you. Um, you write in your uh, preface that uh, your mother was somewhat distressed by your uh, the turn of your uh, interests. Uh, she thought, well, if you're going to study movies, why not musicals? But uh, you, your uh, interest took a turn to horror movies. Yeah, I, I think it was a conflicted moment for her where she had to ask herself if she had done something wrong in, in my upbringing. Uh, it's, it's kind of ironic, though, because I actually didn't watch a lot of horror films or scary movies growing up. It was something I, uh, I was drawn to much later in life. How did you get drawn to those? Well, the short answer is rebellion. Um, I think the uh, the local listeners will understand that uh, as a as a young, somewhat promising freshman at BYU, I had to find some ways to, uh, you know, fight the man, go against the system, and and so I decided that during my tenure at BYU, I would try to watch as many R-rated movies as I could. And uh, I found a, uh, a visceral connection and reaction to the horror genre, which I had pretty much uh, avoided for 18 years of my life. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, I guess, rebellion and for the reaction, but uh, you found something there. And in fact, uh, when you went to do your dissertation, you, uh, you you connect this all up with the Gothic tradition. We'll get into that as well. But uh, I guess the first question is, what... What do these kinds of movies, and specifically, what do what do monsters uh, do for us? People go to those movies. I guess you, you get the thrill, but there's probably something deeper there. Yeah, I think monsters are really powerful parts of our society, and we just have to recognize that they've been around pretty much from the advent of, of literature or entertainment, mythology, folklore, that we uh, we as societies develop monster tales to somewhat to keep people in check kind of as a, as a method of managing moral and ethic behavior, ethical behavior, but also um, what the Greeks would call catharsis, where it, they allow us to deal with things we're not really ready to deal with, things about the, the darker aspects of human existence, about pain and suffering, uh, about the horrors of life and death. 
And I think the monster, because it's uh, fundamentally an allegorical or metaphorical figure, allows, uh, allows us to really get what we need out of it. And what's cool about it, and that for my fellow monster scholars, what we like to look for is how monsters change over time and what the different types of monsters then say about the society or culture that ended up producing it. And you write that specifically you're writing about zombies here, but it's probably true about other monsters. Uh, films tend to tend to spike in number, don't they, when when we have more fears as a society during times of crisis. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you actually stop and think about it, and and uh, which is what scholars uh, ostensibly force people to do. That uh, the the three best decades, in in most people's opinion, the three best decades for horror film of the 1930s, the 1970s, and this last decade, although you could argue that we're not quite done yet. And I think that uh, those, those are such clear, clear indicators of financial stress and or um, military action or other, other fears that are going on. That it, it gets to the point where the pattern is hard to ignore. And you can see that when we're poor, we want to go to the movies, but when we're depressed, you know, or, or scared or anxious, we want to see we want to see people who are worse off than we are. I mean, that's really kind of the bottom line. So you might be out of work, and you might have a son overseas fighting in a war, and you might not know where where your next meal is going to come from. But at least you're not being chased through the woods by a a, a living dead monster. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's something to that. And you were saying that uh, suppose the monster that uh, the monster that reflects our fears and our particular culture uh, definitely is a uh, a repository for uh, for those particular fears that we have. And the zombie you write is uh, particularly uh, Western Hemisphere, right? It's particularly American. Yeah, that's what really got me excited about it because um, in my studies, I'm what's called an Americanist, so I study literature and culture and film uh, of the U.S. primarily. And as much as I love monsters, there was always a little thing in the back of my mind thinking, well, vampires are cool, but man, you know, that came from Europe. Or werewolves are really neat, but they were kind of, they come out of the Eastern European tradition. And, and, and I really kind of felt that we had come too late to the game because a lot of the Native American myths and traditions – because they have a version of the werewolf, of course, and they have ghosts and other things. But but it felt like uh, we, as a, a culture, had been scooped by the by the other side of the planet. And so, as I was researching into monsters, kind of broadly, one of the one of the many reasons I, I focused on the zombie was this kind of weird hemispheric pride, I guess you could say, that I that I saw it and I said, "Wow, hey, that's our monster. That's kind of what what we did." And even though it was um, pretty much developed and invented in Haiti, you know, that's pretty close. That's pretty close to us. And, and I've always enjoyed going to New Orleans and having a fascination with, with the southern uh, voodoo or voodoo tradition. And I thought, okay, let, let's see what this says about us as a society. I wonder if you could uh, maybe compare and contrast a little bit before we get into zombies specifically. Of course, uh, we've sort of adopted vampires and werewolves and such, but they come from the old world. What did those monsters say uh, in speaking to the cultures that created them? Yeah. Well, the vampire is really quite fascinating, and I do like vampire mythologies and stories quite a bit. Um, but they are 
they they express a fear uh, that's pretty racially coded, and it's a racial fear that's tied to sexuality and miscegenation. That if if you go back, the folklore is much much older, and it's it's more tied to simply this fear of being punished in death. And so initially, the idea was that a uh, suicide might come back as a vampire. So, so you didn't want people to commit suicide. So you, there's a story that kind of scared people off. Um, but there's also redheads were supposed to become vampires. So I don't know what that's about. But when you get into the literary tradition, it's pretty much a fear of uh, the the British Empire being colonized, as it were, by the people they perceived as super subpar or inferior uh, through through sex, through sexual conquest and reproduction. So the, the most famous, of course, is Dracula. And it's really a story about a, a character who is variously coded as Jewish or perhaps Muslim, who invades England and begins to seduce, uh, you know, pure white British women. Mm. And as the vampire tradition has continued, this uh, this sense of kind of xenophobic, racist fear has continued up through until probably in the 50s, even in the films that were made in America, where the uh, the coding, the, the anti-Semitic coding becomes even more overt. Hmm. So the, the vampire, too, is, is very much uh, a, a manifestation of these cultural fears and anxieties, but, but it's more of a... Uh, an imperialistic fear. It's it's fear of the colonized. It's fear of racial purity. Um, Nosferatu, which is the the first film version from Germany, is very anti-Semitic and encoded as such. The werewolf is a little bit more modern, and the werewolf is playing much more on cultural awareness of the psyche and how psychology works. And so, the werewolf is the fear that you know, the the intelligent cultured, uh, controlled human might actually give way to these baser passions and these baser desires. And so the werewolf is very much about the struggle between the, the civilized human and that animal instinct that we're all trying to hold off. Uh, and it really, the werewolf mythology, uh, as it manifests through Jekyll and Hyde, which isn't a traditional werewolf story, but it has a lot of parallels, really kind of paved the way for modern modern Freudian psychology. And you kind of wonder if Freud didn't get a, a lot of his ideas about the id and the ego from werewolf mythology. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Uh, I guess we, we don't have any proof of that, but the, there's... Uh, Ample uh, evidence there to, to suppose that that might have happened. It's fun to speculate. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, uh, uh, by the way, uh, if you just joined us, we're talking about uh, monsters and specifically the zombie, which is uh, a peculiarly American uh, creation. What monsters do for us, to us, and uh, how we play out our cultural anxieties and fears in a cathartic way through zombie movies and uh, other monster movies. Kyle Bishop is our guest. He's assistant professor uh, at uh, Southern Utah University, his book is American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. We're talking with uh, Kyle Bishop for the hour today. Zombies and other monsters are subject and how that reflects our uh, culture. Uh, the uh, parallel then between vampires and uh, zombies, there are some, some parallels there, especially in the themes and uh, 
early on, and uh, you talk about a, uh, a seminal movie, uh, White Zombie from 1932, which apparently played out uh, colonial fears, fears about slavery, and fears about reverse colonization. Yeah, the initial zombie was definitely part of this uh, this imperialist paranoia. And it's also, we, we can't ignore the uh, economic factors that came about. Uh, monster movies were becoming very popular in the 30s. And this is back when it only took a month to produce a film. So when Dracula was so successful, uh, they they wanted to get another movie. And, and they wanted to have another monster. And so there had been a... a a play about zombies that wasn't particularly widely produced or successful, and it was based on travel narratives of, of people who had gone and traveled to Haiti, particularly William Seabrook, who had gone down to Haiti and written kind of this sensational book about the pagan practices and voodoo and and particularly about this thing called the zombie. And nobody had really heard about it before, so they thought, well, this will make a great movie monster. And in the process of adapting it, they really stole a lot from Dracula. So it takes place in Haiti, but for some reason there's this ancient Gothic castle uh, in Haiti, which of course is laughable. Um, and it's, it's really not about the zombies being the menace. It's about the voodoo priest being the menace, that this uh, racially coded sinister figure who uses black magic uh, would would dare to enslave a, a wholesome white woman by turning her into a zombie. And so the idea is that the, the zombie, the early zombie, isn't a monster so much as it attacks other people. It's, it's monstrous because it's what people might become in the hands of, of an unchecked, un, misunderstood pagan entity. And so the worst thing that could happen to a society that enslaves others is to be enslaved by those others. And it's even more sensitive when it's about women. Hmm. And so even though the, the, the film is, is pretty tame, yeah. uh, I think the subtext is uh, sex slave, even though it never gets to that point. But the idea that this, this black man, although he's not really black, it's Bela Lugosi, who's hmm. Hungarian, uh, but to have him uh, attack a woman and turn her into this mindless slave who'll do whatever he wants, it's pretty powerful. And uh, the hero of the, the film actually says the, the line that it's better off that she were dead than uh, in the hands of a black man. And so it really does expose not, over, uh, not only some imperialistic fears, it's the rampant racism that's still going on in the 30s. Hmm. And uh, the movie, uh, you say, uh, warps voodoo this this is this is not the real voodoo that's being practiced in in haiti this is a different view of, of voodoo it is but depending on who you talk to it's not that different um some ethnographers uh consider that version of the zombie to be pretty close to what might be called a real zombie zora neale hurston the, the famed african-american uh writer and folkloricist went to haiti and wrote about this the idea that what the zombie is, is someone who has been poisoned, uh, brain damaged, uh, lobotomized through chemicals and pharmacology and pufferfish toxins, so they could lose their, their sense of self-will and be ordered around and bossed around and enslaved. Of course, the difference is that they're not dead. They're, hum they're alive. They're human. They're just, um, their capacities have been dulled, if not destroyed. That's really a terrifying prospect. In a lot of ways, I think that version of the zombie may be more frightening than the one we know today because it's so much more realistic and, and there's so much more potential to it. 
so the white zombie was really kind of playing on that tradition. It warped it, but perhaps not as far from the source as we'd, we'd like to think. And according to uh, Zora Neale Hurston, this, this, this really went on. Yeah, she in her book, uh, Tell My Horse, she actually has a photograph of a zombie woman uh, who is, by today's standards, we would probably just call someone who is severely brain damaged or, or um, has been lobotomized. Um, I read an article recently that argues that's what Dahmer was actually doing, was trying to create zombies, uh, but with drills instead of poison. And when you think about that, man, that, that keeps you up at night. Hmm. Yeah, that, that is horrifying. Uh, and, and where did this then fit into the, the, the voodoo religion? Well, it, it's not part of the, the, the mainstream voodoo religion. It's not from the like good side. It's not about uh, communion with the gods or, or white magic or however you would want to call it. It's, it's an abomination. It's the, the voodoo priests don't practice the zombie ritual. It's what's called a bokor who in you know in, in western terms would be more like a dark sorcerer or something and so those who who would practice this would be shunned from the the, the accepted mainstream religion um and it would be really the, the worst crime in fact the haitian criminal code uh, includes the crime of creating zombies, which is one of the reasons uh, scholars think that zombies were, perhaps not now, but were real, is the fact that they actually had laws forbidding their creation. Hmm. With the moviegoers in 1932 who would have gone to see White Zombie, what, what would they have been feeling? We talked about some of the fears that would have been played out in, in their minds watching this movie. Oh, I think, and this is maybe reductive and maybe a little harsh, but I think they would probably be uh, feeling a sense of white, civilized superiority. Uh, they would be feeling a sense of threat from the unknown, the other, uh, the, 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 those with dark skin and, and different practices. But I think on the other hand, it really would have resonate, resonated with, with the Great Depression generation, because it is a film about enslavement. It's a film about a labor force that works hard and receives no compensation. The the zombie really is the the most extreme manifestation of the proletariat labor force, uh, because they work all the time and they receive no pay. And I think for the Great Depression audience, they would probably... Uh, <laughs> root for the zombie. And I think White Zombie does kind of present the zombie as the tragic good guy in a lot of ways, uh, because at the climax of the film, the, the white American characters go to save the zombies. Now, of course, they're primarily going to save the white zombie, the white female zombie, but along the way, they end up liberating the other zombies, um, although through death, but death is better than enslavement, I suppose. Mm. We're talking about zombies and uh, how they and other uh, horror movies, monster movies, uh, allow us to work out uh, some deep-seated cultural anxieties and fears in a cathartic way and how that reflects our culture. We're talking with Kyle Bishop, who's assistant professor at uh, Southern Utah University. His uh, new book is American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. We're going to take a brief break. Back with more with uh, Kyle Bishop on uh, zombies and uh, what they mean following the break. 
Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. UPR's gardening show finally has a new name thanks to our listeners. This Thursday on The Zesty Garden, we'll explore early spring planting issues. How do you know when it's time to plant? And how can you speed up the warming of the soil so you can get that first crop of peas even earlier? Dan Drost, USU Extension Vegetable Specialist, is my guest for the hour. Join us Thursday morning at 10 o'clock for The Zesty Garden, UPR's original show for garden and outdoor conversation. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. They must be destroyed on sight. When there is no more room in it, the dead will walk the earth. We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the Dead. There's the trailer for Dawn of the Dead, one of the great uh, zombie movies, one of the great horror movies, uh, George Romero's uh, movie. In fact, uh, my guest, uh, Kyle Bishop, uh, by the way, is author of the new book, American Zombie Gothic, Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. Uh, Kyle Bishop, I think you've described this movie somewhere as, as your favorite horror movie. It is, and I'm I'm so glad you're playing the the clips from the trailer. Just listening to it makes me happy, which is maybe not good. Uh, but but the '78 Dawn of the Dead, I really think is is the the epitome of of everything I've been talking about. And even though it's a little bit dated, I still think it's the the best made zombie movie out there. There have been some recent ones that are certainly more polished and uh, pretty good. But to me, that's that's really the zenith. Um, and, and we'll we'll get here shortly to George Romero. Um, a, a, any movie that uh, you'd like to talk about before we get there? Maybe we talk about uh, the the arc of the zombie movie and the horror movie uh, after White Zombie and a few others. Uh, I think uh, zombies didn't play quite as big a part in uh, in the horror scene. And, and tell perhaps George Romero. Yeah, there were uh, there were imitations and and semi sequels and more kind of these voodoo-based films, uh, King of the Zombies and Revolt of the Zombies. And they were usually set in nondescript Caribbean islands, and it was still kind of the the tensions of enslavement and some colonial issues. Um, And then in the late 40s and 50s, the the theme shifted a little. There were still enslaved dead bodies, but now it was aliens. Uh, I think that with the rise of uh, the real the science fiction push in the 50s, you started seeing things like Invisible Invaders and the Earth Dies Screaming and even Plan 9 from Outer Space, where it's the same basic storyline, but instead of having a, a racially coded voodoo priest or a bocord, you now have a menacing alien force or a mad scientist who is who is raising the dead. And so there's this weird fusion with Frankenstein in a way, but it, it's it's not accurate and it's not fair, but that's kind of what people were drawn to. Mm. So the zombie really mutated and almost disappeared uh, when, by the time we got into the 60s. Seems like it was always uh, a, con- a continuing theme uh, through, and maybe all horror movies, but certainly zombie movies, it's concern with the other 
Yeah. And fears about the other. But that changed as, uh, as we go over time. Uh, I want to get into uh, George Romero, the sort of the godfather of zombie movies. Uh, so uh, tell us about George Romero. I think uh, he, he began to have the idea, at least for Night of the Living Dead, when he was a film student. Yeah, and Romero totally changed the game. And, and for most people, they're, they're very unaware of the pre-Romero zombie tradition. So I'm, I'm really glad you gave us a chance to talk about that foundational material. But with Romero, he was a film student. He wanted to make a movie. Uh, initially, he wanted to make an adaptation of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend, which is a, a vampire narrative. Uh, but it's really a significant vampire narrative because, to my knowledge, it's the first vampire book in which the vampires outnumber the humans. So in Dracula, you basically had one vampire. There were a few others, but it was kind of like one vampire versus the mass of humanity. And Matheson inverted that. So it's one man versus uh, a, a, just a plague of, of vampires. And Romero kind of latched onto that in the, the Cold War era and into Vietnam. And, and these are the things that are going on that are fearful and, and anxious and paranoid. And so he created a narrative with these dead bodies, these dead people who were coming back from the grave for some reason, which is never clear. And he turned them into cannibals in not just bloodsuckers like vampires, but flesh eaters, more like ghouls, which is a, was a lesser known folklore monster. And he made the condition contagious. So he kind of, in, he used elements of the vampire and fused them with elements of the zombie and basically gave birth to a new kind of creature that had never been seen before. In the film, he calls them ghouls or just nothing or just monsters. But the audience quickly saw the visual parallels between these creatures and earlier voodoo zombie films and started calling them zombies. And Romero was quick and smart um, to latch on to that designation. And he basically rewrote the whole rules, the rule book. He invented this new version of the zombie, and uh, that's the one we most commonly encounter today. So before the zombie uh, certainly was fearful because you and I don't want to become zombies, but maybe not as fearful as as the version that was invented in the Romero films, which is there are masses of them and uh, they're they're eating you and and it's contagious. Yeah, it's a big shift. And so in, in the initial tradition that you were not afraid of the zombies, you were afraid of becoming a zombie. Well, with Romero, you're still afraid of becoming a zombie, but it's the zombies that turn you into other zombies. And when you think about it in terms of, of warfare, uh, and because this, this film is a reflection of Vietnam in a lot of ways, it's fighting a battle, but every time one of our soldiers dies, they get a new soldier. Uh, it, it's really this, this type of guerrilla warfare being transmuted into this supernatural stage. And what complicates it is, whereas in the other films, like you said, there was a clear fear of the other, the problem with Romero's version is we are the other. So the, per the zombie that's trying to kill you is your brother, it's your sister, it's your neighbor. So it's no longer a, a safe there's no longer a safe distance between us and them. They have become us and vice versa. And I think that's really what freaked people out. There's a pretty clear message, at least in Night of the Living Dead, about, about racism, right, and race relations. 
Yeah, and that was somewhat accidental. Uh, if you, if Romero is is telling the truth, and there's no reason to think he wouldn't, uh, the the hero, the protagonist of Night of the Living Dead, is a black actor, um, and Romero said it was not a black character. He simply cast the the best man for the job, and he happened to be black. But it's hard to watch that movie now, and it would have been much more difficult to watch it in '68 and not have thought. There's a, there's a black hero here. So for most of the film, it seems to be really progressive in, in its racial portrayal. But as the film goes on, uh, you realize that the, this, this hero is flawed and he's somewhat violent and, it's, and he's conflicted and it's hard to sympathize with him. And then at the end of the movie, it's a very violent and racially coded conclusion and it's hard to ignore that. So, so people argue about whether Night of the Living Dead is racialist or racist or pro-race or anti-race, where I like to think that Romero was probably not doing a lot of that consciously, but it's there nonetheless. And definitely the fears that would have been playing out were were about the Vietnam War, as you said, and, uh, and about those times. Yeah, that's one of the big ones. The other one is the shift from the kind of wholesome father knows best era of the 50s into the uh, charged civil rights movement, uh, equal rights movement. And so a lot of people were seeing in the, the late 60s an attack on the traditional family, the traditional home, the nuclear family. And so the film is literally uh, the family house being sieged by monsters. So it's really about an attack on traditionalism. And the one of the most horrifying con- uh, um points in the movie is uh, a dysfunctional family with a bickering father and mother end up getting killed and eaten by their daughter. And so it's very clear that, that this is exercising fears and paranoias about the changing American family and the American family dynamic and, and, and women's rights is in there because it's, it's somewhat of a sexist movie. And luckily, his later films are not mm-hmm. that sexist. And it's just a bit of a racist movie, although his later films are not as racist. So Night of the Living Dead kind of powerfully addresses a dozen different social anxieties and concerns simultaneously in this amazingly versatile uh, monster that can kind of be a metaphor for everything simultaneously. Hmm. If you just joined us, we are talking with Kyle Bishop. He's assistant professor at Southern Utah University, has a very well-timed book because uh, we're still in a zombie renaissance. Uh, A lot of zombie events. You you just uh, uh, go in the... uh, Twitterverse, and you see a lot of zombie things happening, and films and uh, video games. The book is American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. We'll talk about the connection which uh, Professor Bishop uh, makes to the gothic novels and gothic tradition a little bit later. By the way, I love the picture on the book. Um, it, I guess it had to be uh, American Gothic, but just uh, sort of these uh, iconic figures turned into zombies. The, the man with the pitchfork, and uh, everybody's seen that, that picture. Uh, yeah, I, I really love that. I'm, one of my friends uh, did the art for me, and it just seemed like the logical way to go. And funny story is that wasn't the original title of the book. The uh, McFarland, my publisher, had me change the book title because they liked the cover more than they liked my title. And uh, so hopefully that that 
image has done done its job to uh, get my book out there. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it certainly fits. Uh, the, this monster, as you say, peculiarly American, or at least Western Hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, and you make the connection to the Gothic. Uh, before we get there, I, I want to talk a bit about uh, your favorite horror film, The Dawn of the Dead. There was a gap of, what, about 10 years between the two movies? Uh, yep. fir- first movie was quite successful. George Romero came back, and this one... Um, as I remember it, has quite a bit of black humor in it. There, there's there's some comedic elements. It's definitely a commentary on on those times, the 1970s. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's such a great film is that it's horrifying and it's scary, but it's also emotional and it's funny in places, but it's darkly funny. And and uh, there were there were zombie movies in the interim, but not by Romero. There were there were just a few. There was one in Britain. There was a couple of things going on. But because of the the somewhat underground success of Night of the Living Dead, Romero had the money to kind of do it right, do a much bigger scale. And rather than focusing on an attack of the home, he shifts the focus to the shopping mall, which in 78 was a pretty new kind of cultural phenomenon, the idea that we would build uh, what has been described as these giant cathedrals to consumerism. And so Dawn of the Dead's power as a metaphorical uh, narrative is not only this, this continued fear of death, which is all in pretty much all horror movies, but it's an indictment of uh, U.S. shifts in focus and, and emphasis into this commercial world. And in 78, we were in something of a recession, and the economy wasn't doing terribly well. And Romero's criticizing the idea that maybe we're just a little bit too obsessed with things uh, because it's a film in which people often choose material goods over the lives of other humans. And that's a pretty uh, pretty cruel indictment of society. And uh, I think this was a, a hit. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. It, was the, it was the film that really kind of made, got the zombies from the, uh, the underground movement at least into the category of the B movie. It, it didn't. It wasn't. It still wasn't considered mainstream horror fare. That didn't happen until 2002. But it was certainly the film that made zombie movies uh, kind of a, a profitable way to go, and, and started to develop the the B B circuit fandom. And it kicked off the zombie film in Italy, which had a, a pretty violent, dark tradition. Their their movies are much more violent than the the U.S. films. But it also paved the way for a number of sequels. Uh, which quickly morphed into comedies and parodies, uh, probably building on the seeds in Dawn of the Dead, but taking them to more ludicrous extremes. And uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead, and there there's some others. Oh, what what does that say about our our culture? That this this is this horrifying images, but we we turn this into comedy. Right. Well, there's two things. Uh, um, film scholars acknowledge that almost any genre is going to. After it's been established, it's going to go into a comedic or parodic phase. Uh, you just have to look at uh, Mel Brooks's career to see that that's true, that whenever a movie gets established to the point that everybody knows the conventions, the best thing to do is to make fun of those conventions. But with horror, the horror comedy is does a really key feature as well. On the one hand, catharsis works by scaring you and recognizing these emotions that you don't want to deal with. But then if it gets too scary... You need to be able to laugh at it, and you want to be able to uh, to dismiss these horrifying images as something less than real. 
Now, the best films, like Shaun of the Dead, are both. Shaun of the Dead is a really straight-up scary horror film in places, but then at other times it's very, very funny, and it's making fun of, of death and uh, family problems and, and the collapse of society. I think those films are great, but they, they leave you really kind of conflicted as a viewer and force you to deal with, you know, how you feel about stuff. Hmm. By the way, parenthetically, uh, you were talking about horror movies, and you do like horror movies. Uh, do you go to other types of movies? Yeah, I'm I'm a genre guy, so I like horror, but I like fantasy. I like science fiction. Um, I really like films that explore things that aren't real. I kind of like the escapism, and, and as a critic and a scholar, I like to look for the metaphors and the allegories. And those are those are allowed to play out more forcefully in films that are already seen as metaphorical, uh, as fantastic. Mm. I do like a good comedy uh, now and then, and I like a drama if it's really well made. But I'm more of an escapist. I, I like to get into those uh, those films that that cast a spell on the audience. And catharsis is that the key word? Uh, that's why we go to movies. I think so. I, it's kind of again, it's reductive, but I, maybe the Greeks were right mm -hmm. that um, it's important for us to experience emotions in a safe zone. And so, in the olden days, you'd go to a you'd go to a play about murder. You'd you'd experience the secondhand emotion of murder, and then you wouldn't want to commit murder. I mean, that's really the idea. So rather than saying violent video games make kids violent, the argument would be that violent video games prevent kids from being violent because it gives them a safe outlet to experience violence. And I, I really do think that that's a lot of what film and, and literature and television does for us. So if you're, if you're lonely, you go to a romantic comedy, you feel the emotion of romance, and then you can go home and feel better about yourself. If you see a horror movie, you get to be scared and frightened and experience all those wonderful emotions without actually being in danger of dying. Hmm. We're talking on this hour of Access Utah with Kyle Bishop, assistant professor at Southern Utah University. His new book is American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. We'll talk a bit about the gothic part of that title. Professor Bishop sees a direct connection between horror movies, zombie movies, and the gothic literary tradition. We'll talk about that after a brief break. While most of us see airports as a nuisance to be endured to get from one place to another, Alain de Baton thinks of airports as an invitation to dream. I'm Jim Fleming. Next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge, he tells us about the week he spent as Heathrow Airport's first writer-in-residence. It's To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRI, Public Radio International. Sunday mornings at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're spending the hour with Kyle Bishop, assistant professor at Southern Utah University, talking about his new book, American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. Professor Bishop says that uh, zombie movies reflect our cultural anxieties, that such movies have addressed the violence of the Vietnam War, fears of mass annihilation during the Cold War, and anxieties related to 9-11. And he says that... Uh, there's a direct connection between the the way that these themes play out in zombie movies and the way uh, similar themes played out for 
those cultures in uh, the Gothic literary tradition. Uh, first of all, I would, we haven't ad- addressed this, but uh, zombie movies are unique in another sense. We said they were uniquely Western Hemisphere and American. But also, uh, zombie movies uh, jump directly from folk life and folklore without uh, having a literary tradition. Yeah, that's what really drew it to me, me to them in the first place. Is uh, I'm an adaptation scholar, and I like to look at the connections between texts and how uh, one text becomes another text becomes another text. And with zombies, I was trying to figure out what's the what was the Dracula for the zombie movie, and it was this Magic Island book by William Seabrook, which was not fiction. It was nonfiction. And so the idea of having a a monster tradition that started in film rather than in literature really kind of interested me because I do like movies. And because the zombie is such a visual monster, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So when I started working on my book, there really weren't any zombie novels. There were a few short stories, and there were some old EC comics, Tales from the Crypt stuff that that did some stuff with zombies. But Romero's version of the zombie really didn't exist in book form. Well, 10 years later, if you go on Amazon, you're going to fall over about 8,000 different zombie novels because it's really exploded. But I I love the idea of the zombie being a a cinematic uh, monster first and foremost. Let's talk a bit about the Gothic part of your title, American Zombie Gothic. Uh, You say there is a a connection. Uh, The Gothic novel, uh, there were themes being played out there that reflected cultural anxieties, right? Uh, Gothic, is, is, is I think of it, is there's romance, but there's also mystery, and there's there's menace, and there's there's there 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 are fears being played out there. Oh yeah, the the Gothic novel was was quite popular. Uh, in the in the 1800s, but it was never really condoned. It was kind of seen as it was kind of like the B movie of its time that that people would love to read them, but kind of wouldn't admit that they read them. And the romance is usually it's it's more about um, the impediments for romance rather than the, the fulfilling of romance, and would often have very dark and tragic outcomes. So you think about Frankenstein, where the core of Frankenstein is kind of Victor's uh, love affair and his impending wedding, and and it doesn't go well. It's really almost the antithesis of the Jane Austen-style romance. But the other thing that makes it romantic in the capital R romantic sense is the mysticism and the supernatural and the the ideas of, of ghosts and demons. And, and and those types of narratives, genre narratives, like I was mentioning earlier, they always have creative license that more realistic narratives don't have, that you can get away with saying more if you're using magic or you're using monsters or you're using aliens. And I think that's why the Gothic was both popular and uh, quite effective in making the social comments it was always making. You have a chapter where you, uh, or a section, you talk about Jane Eyre, a, a classic uh, gothic novel. There are some definite connections there to, to to themes that play out in the zombie movies. Yeah, and that's mostly Romero again. Uh, Rome, Romero crafted a very, very traditionally gothic film with Night of the Living Dead, and I don't know if he did it on purpose at all, but it worked out. Because one of the key features of the uh, of the gothic is a haunted house of some kind. And usually in the traditional Gothic, the haunting is coming from within. 
in the zombie narrative, the, the, the haunting is usually happening from without. And I think that's an interesting shift. But, uh, but whereas in Europe, it was almost always about a castle or an abbey or a ruin. It was kind of on this grand aristocratic scale. In America, writers like Charles Brockton Brown and Edgar Allan Poe established the Gothic tradition as being, you know, the cabin or the house. It was much humbler and, and much more down to earth. And I think the zombie movies very much build on that more uh, U.S. tradition than the European one. We're talking with Kyle Bishop, uh, who's assistant professor at Southern Utah University, about his uh, book, American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. Just a few minutes uh, left. Let's uh, bring this forward. Uh, One of the uh, recent uh, seminal films in in sort of this tradition is 28 Days Later. We can talk a bit about that and what, what that's reflecting. Yeah, I think that that's the movie that really brought it back. And that's the yeah, that's the reason behind my my silly title is that zombies came and they were big and then by 1985-86 they kind of disappeared. They went underground. Uh they went to video games instead. And the zombie was kind of forgotten. Um at the same time you're dealing with vampires are becoming more popular, but they're becoming more sympathetic and more romantic and less monstrous. And then we had 9-11, and 9-11 was a huge wake-up call for everybody because we were, we were happy and complacent, and we weren't scared of anything. And suddenly uh, the economy collapses, everybody's afraid, people are dying, there's war in the news again. And it was, the time was, was ripe for a resurgence of horror. And I, I really think that the vampire couldn't do it anymore. The vampire, thanks largely to Anne Rice and others, um, has kind of lost its teeth, as it were, and it, and it, and it can't scare us like it used to. Uh, and so the zombie was just like sitting in the sidelines waiting to come in, and, and Danny Boyle nailed it just in, at the right time. It was a confluence of moments. So in 2002, you get 28 Days Later, which completely updates the zombie yet again. So it's really kind of the third version of the zombie. They're not necessarily dead anymore. Uh, they, they're fast. They are feral. They're very violent. Uh, the infection is very fast. So it's kind of everything that Romero had done but turned up uh, in volume. And so uh, 28 Days Later is very clearly a film about being afraid of, of massive scale destruction and death, uh, fear of bloodborne illnesses and disease. Uh, fear of infection, fear of the collapse of society. So it's no longer about an isolated farmhouse. It's about the entire island of Great Britain. And I think that escalation is a, a an apt reflection of the escalation we all felt uh, with with the war on terror. And uh, do you think that's the future of the zombie movie? Well, if we if the past is any indicator, as the economy continues to improve, as the the wars wind down, as Americans begin to feel safe again, uh, we'll see the same trend. The zombie movies will become more comedic. There will be more parodies, and this has already happened. There's a lot more funny zombies out there right now than scary zombies. Uh, zombie video games are now for our children and not for our teenagers. And uh, zombies are on lunch boxes, and you know, zomb- you can buy zombie toys and zombie dolls. And so I think we're starting to see a softening of the zombie because we don't need it to be as powerful and frightening anymore. At the same time, the most successful zombie narrative of all time is The Walking Dead. It's a very traditional, very frightening narrative. 
but then you have uh, zombie romance is starting. The idea of of romantic zombie figures and zombies that fall in love, and and so it's really shifting and fracturing, much like this vampire did in the '70s. And I think we're not done. I think we need to wait and see what happens. Will all monsters or most monsters follow the arc uh, traced by the vampire? You, you said that uh, when 9-11 happened, that the vampire just didn't do it for us anymore. We had to look for another monster. I think so. I think things come and go. You, you see monsters, and then you see aliens, and then you see ghosts, and then you see vampires again, and now zombies, and maybe the vampire will come back. I argue at the conclusion of my book that the next big monster will probably be the werewolf. And that sort of has been true. It's I, The werewolf has made a comeback, but the werewolf is still a little bit more soft and cuddly and romantic and misunderstood and almost always in uh, companionship with vampires. But we'll see where that goes. I thought the zombie would be done by now, but it's not even close. So I think we've still got the zombie for a while. And then uh, somebody else is going to have to figure out what the next big monster is. Why do you predict the werewolf will will have a resurgence? It um, it's due. <laughs> That's my unscientific answer. Uh, I think that the werewolf has often followed the tradition anyway. The the vampire and the zombie were big in the 30s, and the werewolf was big in the 40s. Um, so maybe we're going to see a similar uh, similar trend. The werewolf seems to follow on the footsteps of supernatural monsters because the werewolf is more human and uh, more easily relatable. But it could just as easily be the alien invasion film, which has never really gone away, but maybe that's the next one. So it's the, the fun thing about being a literary critic and cultural critic is you have to guess a lot. I guessed correctly and got lucky. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see if my predictions hold true for the next decade. Just have about a minute left. It was occurring to me as we were talking just now, Maybe the scariest horror movies are kind of in that genre are, are the ones where actual humans are, you know, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, yeah. That sort of thing. That's the scariest probably because there isn't a separation. Right. They're, they're by far the most terrifying, which is why I think they don't have the cult following. They don't have the cultural impact because we want our monsters to be scary, but we want them to be removed. We want to be able to watch a horror movie and get scared and then go back home and tell ourselves, yeah, but that could never happen. And the the films like Last House on the Left, which is one of the main ones, about humans acting monstrous, that's a little too close to home, and it's never going to become uh, become the, the the popular pop figure that the monster is. The book is American Zombie Gothic, The Rise and Fall and Rise of the Walking Dead in Popular Culture. Kyle Bishop, assistant professor at Southern Utah University, has been our guest. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me on. I would like to invite your guests to follow me on Twitter, at Dr. Walking Dead, where I like to talk about monsters and horror. Okay, oh, that's very good. At Dr. Walking Death. Dr. Walking Dead. Oh, uh, Dr. Walking Dead. Okay, great. Great. The invitation is out there. Thanks so much. Thank you. Join uh, Sherry Quinn tomorrow with Access Utah and uh, Science Questions. And uh, thanks for listening today to Access Utah.